Today is Pentecost Sunday. And I want to talk about the Holy Spirit. But that's always difficult. Because the primary job of the Holy Spirit is not to talk about himself, <laughs> but to talk about Jesus. John 15, 26 says, When the Counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, Jesus says. So the Holy Spirit doesn't talk about himself. His job is to talk about Jesus, to point us to Jesus, to call, gather, and enlighten us with the gospel so that we would believe. So in other words, if my sermon's terrible, you can blame the Holy Spirit. No, just kidding. It's hard talking about the Holy Spirit. I know all of us have, have in the last, been from California and with the whole Azusa movement and trying to understand Pentecostalism and Charismatic. Uh, movement and trying to understand where we fit in it. It's hard. It's difficult to understand the Holy Spirit. I think all of us have had good experiences with the people of God movement and also bad experiences. And because of all this, we struggle. We struggle with how to talk about the Holy Spirit. Even more, we struggle because the Holy Spirit doesn't talk about himself. There's no book on the Holy Spirit in so many words. There's just little passages here and there. And all of them which point us to the Holy Spirit, pointing to Jesus. So we need to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help. So will you join me for prayer? Gracious Father, send your wind and fire into this place. Open our hearts to your mighty deeds. Release my tongue to declare your praise. Come Holy Spirit, point us to Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Could you imagine what it must have been like on that first Pentecost? It must have been wild. For the disciples, it must have been amazing. Here Jesus told them, wait in Jerusalem until I send my spirit. And so what did they do? They waited. And as they're waiting, as they're worshiping God, suddenly Thomas goes, I hear something. What's that noise? And Peter probably goes, get under a table. It's a tornado. And then Bartholomew says, no, that's the wind of God blowing in a mighty way. What about the crowd? It's amazing for them as well. They had come from Jeruz to Jerusalem from all over the world. We read north, south, east, west, the whole world had gathered. They had come for Pentecost to offer their first fruits to God. But also Pentecost Sunday or Pentecost was the season where they actually remembered God giving the law to, Mount, to Moses, from Moses at Mount Sinai. And do you remember that in Exodus 2, or in Exodus, with the, when God did that, the, the ground shook and trembled, and there was fire in the, in the skies and loud sounds, and the people were afraid. They said, Moses, you go up there. <laughs> we'll stay back. If the Lord wants to deal with you, uh, that's fine, we'll be away. Right? It's a, it a powerful event for them, Exodus. I wonder if they began to think, is Mount Sinai happening here now? They're shaking. There's fire. There's people speaking in all these tongues, and they were understanding what they were actually saying. Their native languages. Is God doing something? 
They'd probably say, yes, but what? And no wonder in verse 12, the crowd asks the question, what does this mean? What does the wind and fire mean? What's the significance of the tongues? What is God up to? Is there someone here greater than Moses? What does this mean? And for us, 2,000 years later, what does this actually mean? Well, let's ask that question. What was God up to on that first Pentecost? What was he doing? I think we can say on the most fundamental level, Pentecost is the day when God's spirit stopped struggling with man, stopped fighting with man. If you go way back to Genesis, Genesis 1, we hear about God's spirit. John chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Then, Genesis 2, verse 7, we read, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That's Ruah, the spirit, the spirit, his spirit of life. And the man became a living being. So far, so good. But I'm only in the second chapter of Genesis. We know what happens in the third, the fall. And from the fall, everything changes. We no longer have the spirit that gives us life. We seem to be fighting the spirit. Cain and Abel fight each other. Flood happens. In chapter 6, verse 7, the Lord says, I'll make sure it's 7. Oh, 6, 3, I'm sorry. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend or fight with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. In other words, the spirit that's meant to give life, the spirit that gives life, the spirit that creates, by the time you get to chapter 6, the spirit is fighting with man, man and the spirit fighting each other, against each other, in battle, contending with each other. And that's the whole story of human history. We fight against God. We fight against his spirit. We struggle. We do it in two ways. We, we struggle in, with open rebellion. God says, do this, and we say, no, thank you. God wants us to do A, we do B. God says, don't do C, but we do it anyway. Open rebellion. We know what God wants. We all know what God wants. We also begin each service with... Uh, the confession, because <laughs> we don't do what God always wants. And so we rebel against him. That's fighting the spirit. But then there's another way that we fight the spirit, and that is self-righteousness. That is, we don't need the spirit to make us holy. Oh, God, I'm doing pretty good down here. I bet you can't wait to take me up to heaven. I bet you're preparing that room with all my good deeds right there on the display counter because I've been pretty good. Self-righteousness. Or at least a whole lot better than that neighbor of mine. You know that one. That one I prayed you about. You know, I've told you about that one. 
And so we struggle with the Spirit in two ways. We, we, we struggle with open rebellion, not doing what God wants. And we struggle by being self-righteous to say we don't need the Spirit. That's what the Tower of Babel was. God, we want to make a name for ourselves. We want to reach up to you. You said scatter. We're not going to scatter. We're going to build something that will draw humanity to us. One place. Sin. Struggle. We all do it. I guess take heart because the person next to you is a sinner too. So am I. So we rebel. No wonder God then in this passage from Genesis must limit our lives. Think of the trouble we'd get into if we had an extra 600 years to live. Parents, think what happened if, if, if your teenage years with your daughter raised your teenage kids was not seven years, but times it by 10, 70 years. Could you imagine raising teenagers for 70 years? It's like, oh Lord, make our lives 20, please. I can only handle a couple months with teenagers. Why? Because that spirit, we struggle. We struggle with the spirit. We struggle against each other. It's what we do. And so the whole Old Testament is a testimony of God's people struggling with God. God raises them out. God gives them the law. What do they do that very afternoon practically when Moses goes up to the mountain? Oh, God's forsaken us. Let's make a calf. Is right after they had said, Oh, Lord, we will keep the covenant you give us. We promise. We, we double promise. We'll keep it. Moses goes up the mountain. What was that man's name? I think God's abandoned us. Let's make the calf. The struggle all the time. Struggling, fighting with God's spirit. So God removes it. God's spirit empowers Saul. And then what happens? Saul disobeys. Saul goes, I don't need God, and I don't need God's command. God takes the spirit away. The whole history of God's people is one who fights God's spirit. Okay. Now everything changes, though, when we get up to with Jesus. Everything's different. Because now the spirit interacts a different way with humanity. With Jesus, the Spirit's role is much different. In fact, Jesus' birth, remember what Mary said when the angel said, you're going to bear the Son of God? She said, how can this be? And then the angel says in 135, says the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now the Holy Spirit's going to come upon man and stay upon man. In fact, then in Jesus' ministry, his baptism, you know what's happened there. Chapter 3 of, of Mark 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. In the form like a dove. And then Jesus begins to preach in his hometown. And he's in the synagogue. And he's going to explain to them what's going to happen. And before they go, well, this can't be. But he says these words from, from Isaiah. But it's Luke chapter 4, verse 18. 
The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Do you see how everything's changed with Jesus? Before Jesus, man's fighting with the Spirit. Now with Jesus, the Spirit's resting upon man. Empowering. Jesus, everything's going to change with the Holy Spirit. So now, finally, Acts. <laughs> Acts then, Pentecost then, is the beginning of a new relationship with God. A new relationship with the Holy Spirit. Everything's starting new, God's saying. I'm making a new you. I'm making a new relationship. My Holy Spirit's going to now dwell on you, not fight against you. He's going to empower you. And that's why these mighty signs. Because God is there, who's greater than Moses. Moses gave the law. God's there. Jesus is there to give the Holy Spirit. And so there has to be wind. Because the wind is a picture of new life. Ezekiel. May these bones live? No, but then the breath of the Lord came upon it, brought them back together. And the fire is a picture of, of God's presence. His glory. The tongues, that's a reversal of the Tower of Babel. And then you have Peter there. Peter, who was afraid to say, I follow Jesus, who denied Jesus three times. Suddenly Peter has courage. And he says, this is what the prophet Joel was speaking about. When Joel said in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. I love those words. Each, each phrase is important. In the last days. What does that mean? It's the last days for Adam. The old Adam. But it's the beginning of the new Adam. The new you. Or the poor in Hebrew. It's so important because it's not God saying, I'm going to drop my spirit upon them. It's God saying, I'm unloading the spirit upon them. I'm pouring. I'm overflowing the spirit upon them. And that wordplay is so great in this passage because what does the crowd think that's happening to the disciples? They're amazed, but then another group said what? They must be sipping a little bit too much wine. Peter says, oh, it's only nine in the morning. Well, he hasn't been around Lutherans watching football, but that's a whole different sermon. <laughs> but the irony is great because what he's saying is God's not pouring wine. He has a different pour altogether. It's the Holy Spirit. He's pouring it. He's lavishing it. He's sending it upon the people. Not in drops, but with everything. It's 200 proof grace that he's pouring on them. It's good stuff. The best stuff. And notice who this pour is on. Not the righteous few. Not the holy rollers. Not the self-righteous. Not the Levites. Not men. Not the young or the old or the mature. He's pouring it upon all people, Jew and Greek, male and female, young and old, slave and free. He's bestowing the, the Holy Spirit on all of them. That's what God's doing. I'm not fighting them. I'm loving them. In fact, way back in Numbers with Moses, if you remember, there was a day when Moses was with his elders. 
the 70 of them. And the Holy Spirit that was upon Moses to do all these things was, became on the 70. And they kind of, Joshua gets upset <laughs> because there's two others who are counted among the elders who weren't really elders who are getting the Spirit. And they're like, and Joshua says, he says, Moses, stop them. I always like that because I think that's the first bishop. <laughs> we need good order. Stop that work. But Moses said to him, are you jealous? I wish that all Lord's people were prophets. I wish that the Lord would put his spirit on all of them. Moses' wish came true on Pentecost. Spirit on all peoples. You see, Pentecost is the day when God pours out the fullness of his love. The fullness of his power, the fullness of his grace upon the crowd so that they would call on Jesus and be saved. In other words, the Spirit's not fighting them. He's not fighting you anymore. The Spirit's now your comforter. He's your helper. He's your protector. He's for you. And the implications are enormous. And I, I wish I, I, we, we could spend eternity on just the implications. And I'll only give you a couple fast. But it means, first and foremost, it means that you're holy. Because whatever the Holy Spirit touches is holy. That's his job. He's not called the Holy Spirit for nothing. But you might say, but I don't feel holy. Well, what does feeling have to do with anything? I might not act holy. Well, I know that. I am a pastor. I, I, I talk with you guys. But the Holy Spirit is upon you. God has said, holy. Whether you feel or not, whether you act or not, you're holy. That's why you can come to the Lord's table, even filled with sin. Why? Because you're holy. The Spirit is upon you. Second, it means that you're children of God. Galatians 4, 6 because of the work of Jesus, says, you are now sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. Or daughter, obviously. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. You're children of God. The Holy Spirit is upon you. And all parents know. Especially if you've raised Teenagers. And I'm only dreading all this, but when they do something foolish, you don't disown them. You might want to. You might contemplate murder. But they're yours. The Spirit of God is upon you. You're His. Smile. That's good news. Third, it means also that a new day is dawned. It means today. Every day is the day of the Lord. Today, God has gathered you to this place. The wind of the Spirit is present to breathe new life into you, even this day, born again every day. The fire of God's presence is here in the gathering, in the Word, in the meal. And that's why I, I, I had planned no communion. Then I said, how can I not do communion when we've promised? And we're talking about God's presence, and He's here in this meal for you. Finally, it means you're free. 
As Paul says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Because God is for you. The Spirit is with you. You have nothing to be afraid of. You're holy. You're God's child. A new day has dawned. And God is there to protect you in all your endeavors. I want to end finally with this story from Stephen Brown, who's a pastor. He talks about how important it is to know that the Holy Spirit is with you. And he gives this illustration, this story. When his young daughter finally moved out, she moved into an apartment. And he said he was dying inside. His little girl. (laughs) He tried to say, well, no, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. And she looked at him and he realized, I better back off. (laughs) Well, her first day in the apartment, she opened her blinds and she saw a, a hell's angel through the window looking at her. This scared her. She called home and, and Stephen talked to her. And then the last thing he said after praying with her is, everything's going to be okay. I promise. <laughs> well, how does Stephen know that? Because he said, my daughter doesn't know this to this day, but it's, he said, every time it got dark, I drove my car over there to the apartment And I had a 357 in my lap. She was going to be okay. (laughs) That's what Pentecost is about. God is with you. God is for you. He is alongside this ride. He's not against you. He's with you. He loves you. He's overseeing you. And so he says, go and live and love and do your work as whatever your job is and, and invest in your marriage and, and be disciples and have the courage to take on the hard things. Don't run away from them. Because the Spirit is with you. He's not struggling anymore with you. He's for you. So take up the banner and go. And fight and live and love. In Jesus' name, Amen.